This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, Brooklyn's Uzbek community deals with the fallout from a terrorist attack, Akeem Browder's success without winning the mayoral race, and the Brooklyn Podcast Festival going on now. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and thanks for joining us today. And if it's still today when you're listening to this, then it's November 15th. And six years ago on this day, the NYPD kicked Occupy Wall Street demonstrators out of Zuccotti Park. Almost 1,000 people had basically been living there for three months to bring attention to income inequality and the role of money in politics. The movement gave us language like 99% and 1%. And for all of the rain-soaked hours, horse-throated chanting, music playing, and media attention, the income gap persists in America and worldwide. According to Credit Suisse, the top 1% of wealth owners control 50% of the entire world's wealth. And on that note, the Republican-held Congress has recently introduced a tax plan that, guess what, will not address this gap, but will likely make it worse. They're reintroducing trickle-down economics, which means giving more money to the rich, claiming it will stimulate the economy, create jobs, and lift all boats. But in the past, under Reagan and Bush too, it's been shown that when corporations are given more money, it goes to shareholders and bonuses for executives, not to those on the bottom rungs. So what do we do? While we keep an eye out for any new grassroots growing in Zuccotti Park, I think we need some public action. Because it's pretty obvious who needs more disposable income in this country, and it ain't the wealthy. We're excited about today's show. We've got members of Brooklyn's Uzbek community to talk about how they're coping after the implication of Uzbek nationals in terrorist plots and an attack on U.S. soil. Akeem Browder, incarceration reform activist and a former candidate for mayor, and the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. But first, some items. Remember the two now former NYPD detectives who allegedly raped a teen in their custody in their van while in handcuffs in September? Well, Brooklyn Council Member Mike Tra Mark Traeger, sorry about that, now seeks to pass legislation explicitly outlawing sexual contact by police officers with people in their custody. Hold up, that wasn't illegal already? That's effed up. The, now the new proposed legislation was unveiled Wednesday on the steps of City Hall. In addition to his bill, Traeger also added a resolution targeting a loophole in the state penal code that has somehow allowed these former detectives to claim that the rape was consensual. Consensual with handcuffs. Hmm. Brooklyn represent! Tuesday, during a congressional hearing, Hakeem Jeffries, U.S. Rep for New York's 8th Congressional District, Brooklyn's district, tore into Attorney General Jeff Sessions for what he called Sessions' double standard when it comes to perjury. Sessions, of course, has made several trips to the Capitol to correct his misstatements and misrememberings about Trump campaign contacts with Russia. Jeffries brought up an old case when Sessions was a U.S. attorney in Alabama, and he had to make a decision about the perjury case of a young police officer who later corrected false testimony in a case against an allegedly corrupt Mobile, Alabama police chief. Sessions determined at the time, I concluded that a sworn police officer should be prosecuted in order to preserve the rule of law and the integrity of the system. Integrity is a great word, Mr. Sessions. Tenants in a Brooklyn Heights building are suing the owners for deregulating their apartments and charging far in excess of legal rent, according to class action papers filed in Kings County Supreme Court on Tuesday. 
The owner is Kushner Companies, run by son-in-law to the president, Jared Kushner. The suit alleges that when Kushner bought the properties, he failed to register 16 of the building's 18 units as rent stabilized, when they should have retained that status. Spokespeople for the company say that's because the company renovated them to bring them up to market rate. Either way, when you reduce the stock of affordable housing in, borough in a borough famously short of affordable housing, illegally or not, that gets you a big boo from us. This segues nicely into our worst landlords list on the next show. Spoiler alert, Kushner Companies is not yet on the list. Coming up, the Uzbek community in Brooklyn. The recent terrorist attack in Lower Manhattan, where a driver killed eight and injured about a dozen more, was devastating to us all. But for one community in Brooklyn, it brought a specific kind of grief. The driver of the truck was an Uzbek national, and it wasn't the first time in recent memory that an Uzbek has been connected to extremist activity. Two years ago, two Uzbeks from Brooklyn were, challenged, were charged with plotting to support the Islamic State. They later pleaded guilty. There are about 16,000 Uzbeks in Brooklyn. The community here has publicly condemned these actions and has been left reeling, trying to understand how and why their fellow nationals would become involved in such activity. Two of those members are here with us. Sodik Fazudev is a community organizer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And Ilom Kunjabayev, with director, the director of Uz TV. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting us. So when this truck attack happened and the information came out about who this person was, what went through your minds initially? Actually, the first time uh, when I heard day before I was in that neighborhood, and I know there's a lot of people over there, and I felt bad. I said, yeah. oh my God, who did it, and what, why? And later I found out it's from Uzbek uh, nationality, mm -hmm. and I was so upset because Uzbek people are not like that. Like, most of them nice people, mm -hmm. uh, the, they have bachelor's degree, most of them. They're smart, and they know um, a nice personality they have. Mm -hmm. And um, I was upset because Uzbek did it. And I feel bad for myself because I'm from Uzbekistan also. Right. And um, so I was thinking um, why he did it, mm -hmm. what, and of course it's radicalization. And, um, and uh, I was so upset for, for that it's from my nationality did it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also like, uh, so, uh, call it uh, from uh, Eric Adams' uh, offices. Uh, do you know these guys uh, who did uh, I don't know why he did. Uh, I know he ever. ever uh, I see uh, in the TVs said Uzbek, and some TVs said from uh, Kyrgyzstan. Right. Yeah, that's not the same uh, thing. yeah, not same, <laughs> not the same thing. But uh, he born the Kyrgyzstan, and then he going in the Uzbekistan and the living. Mm -hmm. I don't know what years, maybe five years. He living in the Kyrgyzstan and then living Uzbekistan. Right. That's. Uh, I'm also upset mm -hmm. why he did, why he radicalations. Right. I don't. All. I'm not happy. That's. Of course not. Is, yes. Yeah. And especially with this having, you know, just happened in 2015, right? Yes. With that yeah. situation. Do you guys? I mean, do you remember that? Do yes. You, like, what happened then? Yeah. yeah. Two guys. Two guys also helping in the ISIS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's. You talking yeah. about yeah. the 
Yeah, this also radicalization, this is young people. Right. That's, uh, you know, uh, when coming and the immigrants in the, from Uzbekistan coming, that's place. Uh, everybody's uh, going in the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, this internet uh, that is here, here free. And right. then Uzbekistan's, you have to pay. If you want to see in the YouTube channels, you have to more pay. Wow. Yeah, because uh, not the monthly payment. Mm -hmm. uh, we have it in the gigabytes, something gigabytes. Oh. In the so people can own, people purchase the internet in gigabytes. Yeah, in the gigabyte. Yeah, in Uzbekistan, actually, most of the people cannot afford internet. Right. Like um, maybe uh, 15, 20 percent they can afford, maybe mm -hmm. less. So that's why over there is kind of, uh, they don't go internet. Here, when right. they come, they feel internet and they don't have too much information. And when they go to mosques also, mm -hmm. and they, most of the people are Muslim people from Uzbekistan. Right. And uh, they go mosque, of course. Uh, when they go mosque, they don't have, they have like Turkish mosques, Arabic mosques. Mm -hmm. When they go, they pray and they don't get information uh, right. for the, uh, because Muslim doesn't teach bad stuff, they teach good stuff. Exactly, the Islam, because Islam, the is Islam. The, it means peace. Yes. So one of the things that I'm wondering is when things like this happen, you know, and I know that these things incite Islamophobia. Yeah. And I know that these things incite at times violence or a critical eye on certain communities. Have mm -hmm. you guys dealt with any unwanted attention um, from community, from law enforcement, just based off of these attacks? Uh, that's a, uh, that's a, we don't have it the way place here. Mm -hmm. That's we talk about, uh, that's uh, Eric Adams also, we say we don't have a place for mm -hmm. uh, community to, you know, we just, we uh, renting, uh, you know, restaurants, some big restaurants right. that we, uh, we have in the, so you're talking since, about a community yeah, center. Uh, yes, yeah. community center. We don't have a community center. Right. That's why uh, everybody's, uh, some somebody's going in a Turkish place, mm -hmm. somebody's going in the Arabic place, and somebody's in another Bangladesh. That's why when they come, they cannot information, they go to internet to get information. Right. Of course, in the right internet, they get the wrong information from the internet sometimes. Right. That's why they radicalize, and nobody yes. can stop them from internet, yes. of course. Over there, they are not uh, radicalized. When they come here, they become radicalized here, like right. uh, 2015, through the, through, through the internet. internet. Yes. yes, through the internet mostly. Yes. Through the inter you guys had a meeting with Eric yes. Adams, yes. right? How did that yes. go? Yeah, uh, it was, um, what happened, we spoke over there, and uh, Mr. President Eric Adam, he, mm -hmm. he said he's gonna help us uh, to, uh, to get a place and the finances with everything to get a place for the Uzbek community. Right. Um, whoever comes, because the fastest growing community in the New York, Uzbek people, wow. the fastest one year. And the, when they come here, young people, usually they don't know where to go. That's why uh, he said us to help us to open place. And like a community center. Like a community center, yeah. Right. And um, yeah. to help young people to adopt here because they come from Uzbekistan. Why are yeah. so many people coming here? Why is it the fastest growing population in New York? They have the green card, uh, the mm -hmm. playing like TV lottery, so they get the last ten years they got the most of them. From two thousand seven, they start coming here. Oh wow! Uh, that's that open it right, uh, Yeah, that's. Do you think that's going to change yes. with the uh, visas? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's going to yeah. change. Yeah, it's because the change. last two years it changed already. So. Really? Yeah, uh, every yeah, every year is last year's coming people's uh, five thousand people's from Uzbekistan. Yeah. 
do you think that the diversity um, visa program, like the future for it, do you think there's a future for it? Because people are starting to be highly critical of it. Yes, and in my opinion, of course, everybody has their own opinion. In my right. opinion, it will be, it will stop next year, probably after two years, maybe it will be stopped anyway. What are your hopes for the future now that you get the community center? And yeah, we hope. We yeah, feel. the hope. That's yeah, the we hope. hope yeah, our, our hope is um, the everything sh because um, we we planning to open community centers, and we also spoke about the uh, Mr. Mr. President Eric Adam mm -hmm. that we have a lot of businesses in Brooklyn area, especially. Mm -hmm. We put the sign: if you see something, say something. Kind of right. signs and uh, don't radicalize. Kind of mm -hmm. signs. We planning like um, We're thinking. Planning that's working good. that's why you want to be mm -hmm. preventative yeah yeah yes okay. because uh, we we have it and a lot of Uzbek uh, restaurants mm -hmm. businesses and also <coughs> medical uh, businesses mm -hmm. also we have it Uzbek communities people's working that's uh, not everybody's uh, you know this if you want guys bad and everybody's uh, get bad we try in the uh, together work in mm -hmm. American peoples, you know, we we hope here we yeah yes. So you want to work together with the American people, which is yes, good because yeah, you're here. And I'm certain we want to work with you too. Thank you guys both for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Very Thank, much. You. Thank you. Coming up, he beat Bo Deedle and came close to Sal Albanese, and he wasn't even invited to the debate. What made Akeem Browder's mayoral candidacy so compelling? We'll find out next. Kim Browder wasn't given much of a chance in the mayoral race, but his candidacy struck a chord, clearly. He got more votes than Bo Deedle, despite never getting on a debate stage. Okay, Deedle, more bark than bite. But Browder's story had resonance because of what was behind it, the suicide of his brother, Khalif, who spent more than a year on Rikers for a petty crime he didn't even commit. Akeem is here now to tell us about how that event shaped his activism and how it continues post-election. Thanks for joining us on 112. Thank you for having me. So tell me, first of all, about your time in the mayoral race. Why did you decide to run? I think actually, you know what, even, in, even if it wasn't a success of me getting into office, it actually did what I hoped, which is I wanted to spark the, uh, the person that's going to come in after and say, you know what, well, Akeem gave it his best and mm -hmm. uh, be inspired to do something further. So. In this election, I saw in the campaigning that a lot of people, even after the election, wrote me like, I'm so inspired that I'm doing X, Y, Z, whether it's changing my career field into from one thing to, say, changing the law, um, or actually wanting to run for something, or even just be civically engaged. Right. So what have people been saying to you specifically about your mayoral race? Because it's obvious that, like we said, it struck a chord with people, but people have been reaching out to you personally, as you just said. Like, what is it doing for them? Like, what are they, what were they hoping that you would change as mayor? And are they willing to step into those spots and try to do it without you? Well, definitely, I, I would encourage anyone uh, to be civically engaged and to come out and fight for what's right when it comes to equality. And that was my main, transpa uh, transparency was my main uh, platform, mm -hmm. that as well as um, making sure we had equality and opportunity, equality in living. Mm -hmm. New York is supposed to be the precedence for every other state. 
right. and yet uh, a lot of the platforms that I, I came to realize and write things that we just never had, like a Bill of Rights for job seekers. We don't mm -hmm. have that, and yet there's things that I'm coming into this field and realizing that we haven't done. Right. And so a lot of people, they have the hope that, you know what, someone's gonna come and change this, and mm -hmm. they look for difference. That's why the Green Party, in which I ran with, uh, was the difference that we was hoping to make. It really was. Even in my district, uh, Brian Cunningham ran with the Green Party, which was super interesting. Yes. And he got, you know, quite a few votes, more than anybody expected. Yes. Um, when you talk about transparency specifically and people not wanting to see the same um, cookie cutter politician all the time, you know, there are people who are like, he's an imperfect candidate. He has a background, he has priors, you know, prior convictions. Like, what do we do with that? And is your campaign, or was your campaign, not just about transparency, but also about something that your brother really never fully got, which was a second chance? So yeah, you're, my, you're right, my brother, he looked and worked for that second chance. He mm -hmm. went to school after he, get, after he came home off a felonious charge. Mm -hmm. And I mean, upon coming home, after being tortured in a place like Rikers Island, which is just one jail, right. there's plenty of jails that do exactly the same thing. However, when my brother came home, he still fought to find the normalcy of a status quo world, which mm -hmm. um, he came home and got his GED on the first try. That GED, mm -hmm. a lot of people fail. And from being in solitary confinement, 1,111 days, he still passed. Then continued to go to college, which he got a 3.8 GPA for the year and a half that he was there. And so it does say that the strength of a person willing to or fighting to be in, uh, accepted or socially accepted, although coming home from a place like jail, right. um, is hard to fight for, but it's, will, it's something that we're willing to do. Yeah, my father spent 30 years in prison, and he just got out this past November, and mm. it's been a journey, to say the least. Um, what those institutions do <clears throat> to a person is, to be perfectly honest, sort of indescribable to the general public. So a lot of people are talking about the shutting down of Rikers, uh, which, some people are saying is a big deal, other people are saying is merely symbolic um, and won't actually help anything. How do you feel about it? I, I think uh, all of New York City, as well as around the world, uh, when it comes to the United States and around the world, meaning people write to me from Sweden, UK, Australia, uh, and within the United States, and my stance on jailing, we've been doing it for over 100 years, Mm -hmm. And yet, we know that it's not symbolic towards what we were aiming, correction or rehabilitation. Right. And so, it's about time that we do something different. Now, mm -hmm. when it came to de Blasio, speaking about shutting down Rikers, if you realize, he only spoke about it this year when it came time for re-election. Right. However, 2016 was a totally different story. Mm -hmm. He told me and my mother, September of 2016, that it was a dream that would never happen. Wow. And yet. People cheered when he said we were gonna shut down Rikers. I guarantee you, you won't see that happen in his election. Because wow. it was lip service. He's done this before. Yeah. With his proposed stance on universal free pre-K for all. Mm -hmm. And yet, after three months in office, he dropped that. Mm -hmm. And then came with pre-K for all. I mean, we understood what pre-K for all meant. Free pre-K for all meant a totally different thing. Right, And Absolutely. so it gave hope to the women 
who are trying to return into the work field after having a child. Mm -hmm. And yet, that was dropped. We'll Lip have service. to have him on to ask him those hard questions because I don't think enough people are, personally. Um, what's next for you? So, I mean, I, I am not going to give up. With my last dying breath, just like my mother, I'm going to fight for justice for Khalif. My brother didn't deserve what happened, and nor does a lot of people in New York City, mm -hmm. throughout the United States, or in, a, in, in America, period. We don't all deserve a jail cell of six by nine, or even in an institution that's treated as it's a gladiator school. Right. Um, rehabilitation is necessary. 68% of the population on Rikers is considered mentally ill. And wow. so, we need facilities for them to be dealing with that uh, rehabilitation aspect, not to be put in jail where they have to fight for their lives. So with me, I started the Khalid Browder Foundation, which is a reentry to society, not-for-profit program, mm -hmm. uh, giving those services to people coming home from jail and prison. I started it through Exodus, uh, Exodus Transitional, right. um, for, uh, Transitional Services, mm -hmm. that's led by ex, um, Julio Medina. And he showed a model. He, I go there, I have my office there uh, inside uh, Exodus, and yet you see the help that they're getting, and right. you feel it. It's a, it's a way of life now coming home. Right, and it's a whole other situation than somebody being kept in a jail cell and particularly in solitary confinement. People come home and then die. Yeah. Because their lives in jail, although it's hard, it's a lifestyle. Right. And then when they come home, the transitioning is not actually a good transition. It's not. It's like hot and cold water. Right. People come home and die right after. It doesn't lead to healing or the rehabilitation that we hope for. Akeem, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you coming you on and telling your story. Thank you. Next, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Podcast Festival, so stay where you are. Remember when someone said podcast bubble? When is that thing going to burst? Because from where I sit, I see no end in sight to their proliferation and production. Capitalizing on this popularity, I'm trying to use as many P words as I can, obviously, we have the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. And why not? Brooklyn's podcast production is profuse. We have Kyle Fitzpatrick from City Farms, the presenter of the festival, to tell us what the public can expect. So pleased to have you on 112VK. So pleased to be here. Thank you, Ashley. So tell me, first of all, do you know how many podcasts are produced in Brooklyn? In the high dozens, early hundreds, I would imagine. Yeah. Somewhere. If not mid-hundreds. <laughs> Everyone is dabbling a little bit. Right. It's a great medium to get into. It's yeah. relatively easy. Everyone's got a thing to say. Mm -hmm. And it's a great output, a great outlet. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I love podcasts, yeah. especially ones that are produced around here. I know Gimlet Media Yeah, is we do a lot of work here. with Gimlet. Yeah. You do? Yep. So they're in Brooklyn. Are there any other companies that are That are based here? in Brooklyn? Well, yeah. we have our company, Good Orbit, which is based right. in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, we're producing, I believe, five podcasts that are all broadcast out of Union Hall. Mm -hmm. um, Slate, I believe, is based in Brooklyn. They are. Yeah. Um, when we're working with them, we have Slate Media, I'm sorry, Slate Money doing a food podcast oh, yeah. tonight at the Bell House. Tonight at the Bell House. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so that's like, wow. Okay, so the Bell House is right around here, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's walking distance. It's in Gowanus yes. on uh, 7th Street between yes. 2nd and 3rd Avenue. That's what I thought. 149 7th Street. 149 7th Street. Yeah. Wednesday night, yes. Bell House. Okay, there cool. You go. So, what's going on with the festival? 
Uh, well, we started last night. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a podcast with uh, Mimi Sheridan, who I don't know if you're familiar with her, but I'm she sorry. is amazing. Yeah. She's this food critic who's just been in New York since the dawn of New York. <laughs> and like every restaurant that's open since like the 40s has been reviewed by her. Right. And she is like one of the sharpest, like most on point people. So she had a show at the Bell, I'm sorry, at Union Hall last night. Okay. Where she took callers, questions, uh, in audience questions, and just sort of like rapped about food and like the cultural relevancy of it all. And she is just like so on it. So that was the first show that we had for the podcast and it went so well. And yeah. if that's any kind of indication for how the festival is gonna go, I think it's gonna be pretty awesome. So these are like live recordings of podcasts. Yes. Yeah. And then they come out on iTunes Live or Apple Podcasts because they've Or however they're distributing it. Or how SoundCloud, their right. own distribution, how, there's just so much so many ways that I could get out there. Yeah, we call, they call them podcatchers, right? Ah, I haven't heard that before, but I do like podcatchers. <laughs> podcatchers, it's Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and I think those are like the big three, and then there's Acast. Yeah, that sounds about right. Right. Yeah. So what is City Farm? What does that have to do with the festival? Oh, well, City Farm is the management company for the Bell House and Union Hall, uh, Faulkner, uh, Floyd, which are two just more straightforward bars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faulkner is on Smith Street and Floyd is on Atlantic, which is like kind of the original bar. Right. So what we try to do is, um, I mean, the Bell House and Union Hall produce shows mm -hmm. and we have, well not we, I, the, the royal we. Yes. But uh, <laughs> we've been doing it since 06 and 08. Okay. Uh, and since then we've just kind of tried to become like this sort of hub for comedy in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that time, you know, there weren't any podcasts, to my knowledge. Right. I don't really, maybe it was just like a blooming yeah. medium. Not that I remember. Yeah, the first, <laughs> like, 09, I think, is sort of when I remember popping up. But, um, yeah, so in that time, comedy has sort of evolved to podcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, like, every comedian pretty much oh, yeah. has a podcast. Yep. Um, so through that, we also sort of, not that we're branching out from comedy, but just in that world, there are so many voices that are saying so many things. Right. So in this uh, festival itself, we have a lot of food podcasts, mm -hmm. um, but it all, sound, it all kind of fits into the world of uh, a performative sort of expression. So even when it's not exactly comedy, there is mm -hmm. this great performative element to it. I think the show last night with Mimi Sheridan was a great example of that, right. where it's not a traditional comedy show, but everyone in that room was laughing and, and connecting. And having a good time. Yeah. So if I'm a person who wants to check this festival out, uh -huh. how do I do that? bkpodfest.com. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, all of it is listed there. All of our shows, um, we'll be doing it again next year. Mm -hmm. So keep posted on that. Uh, also, you can just check out Union Hall, Bell House. Those right. websites are, they, all the information is on there as They'll well. They'll have information there yeah. too. Um, what is the highlight? What's coming up? Ooh, uh, you know, I don't even know if we have a highlight. Yeah? Uh, everything is just sort of, I know that's the answer I'm supposed to give. Everything's yeah, amazing, no, the whole okay. thing's a highlight. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, there's not really like this huge headliner that we're banking on. It's really this sort of, uh, everything is, uh, it's a community. What are you it's excited to see next? I am excited to see Chapo Trap House, mm -hmm. which is at the Bell House on Thursday. Uh, I'm excited to see Book Club, which is one of uh, the Good Orbit podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the Good Orbit podcasts are great. Good. Because we produce them. Oh, Not, yeah. But they're great. I um, see that self-plug. There you go. <laughs> Not bad, right? Uh, yeah, right. so uh, all these podcasts that are coming up are really great. Uh, the Kevin McDonald Show, mm -hmm. that's a personal favorite of mine because it's in the comedy world. There's Judith right. Friedlander and Todd Barry on that. A musician called Natalie Press. 
um, yeah, I'm really excited for all these shows. Good. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and oh, letting us hear me. about them. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Ashley. And thanks for joining us today. Next time, we're going to talk about guns. Is it finally time to talk about guns? Plus, the originator of the Me Too movement will join us. And then we're going to have some good times. Come back to see what I mean. Bye. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hamasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.